Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation just by listening to Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. I'm Dave Alexander. If you want to call Dr. Weefall, this is the number, 919-860-9783. Dr. Weefall, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good calling uh, from Atlanta, where yeah. I have taken a little jog break down to see my grandkids. Made sort of a uh, split decision last night on the, on, the, uh, on the run, because it's birthday. Oh, you got to participate in a granddaughter's birthday yeah. party. And, and the miracle of uh, modern technology is we can uh, do the show. It may not be quite the you know, stellar show that it is, because I can't see Dave and interact with him, which is my theory about being a better doctor, is that none of this telemedicine stuff, none of this over-the-phone stuff, in order to be a good doctor, you've got to be there, present, in front of the patient to get all the clues. Well, let's encourage folks to call up, and we'll see how the telemedicine thing works. Well, nobody's at the radio station, and, well, you know, folks call up. Uh, 919-860-9783. Anybody listening outside the Raleigh area who are listening, let's say, on a Sunday or, you know, late on a Saturday... Remember, you always have to call between noon and 2 on Saturdays. All right, so let's get to the meat of the show, which is some good news about COVID. Everybody's numbers seem to be coming down. Got an article that says that, yeah, it's coming down, but it has nothing to do with the vaccine. Do you agree? I I think there might be a little bit uh, involved in the vaccine because we've been giving it Ah, for about six weeks now. Right. And I think we're building up and building up and building up. I think a large part of it is that we had a big spike from Thanksgiving get-togethers and Christmas get-togethers. I'm kind of worried about a Super Bowl spike. Um, but believe it or not, that may sound silly. Yeah. But we'll see two weeks from now whether it spikes back up a little bit. But we're seeing a pretty dramatic decrease in cases now, which is a great thing. The deaths are lagging a little bit behind the decrease in cases, but that's going to pick up, too. We've vaccinated, what, a couple million now? Ten million? I can't remember the number. Maybe Rose will tell us a better idea of the number. And we're getting much better at getting vaccines into people. Do you know what the best state is in the United States? The best state for vaccination? No, I don't know. Yeah. It's West Virginia. Really? Yeah. And what happened, and this is something that I think has, has an impact on the way I think about medicine, because I've always thought about it this way, mm-hmm. is that it's not necessarily better to have a larger organization in charge. So in West Virginia, it is very much, unlike the rest of the United States, still primarily rural. And so they had to have a, a smaller um, organization in each town be in control. Right. And so what happens when you have fewer people 
making decisions, you can make them quicker. Right. So it's like, you know, you don't have these committees now that are saying, oh, wait a minute, we've got to have rules about who gets to have it. We have to split this up into groups. Right. These people say, I got the vaccine. Okay, come in. You're over 65. I'm going to give you the vaccine. Come in. Boom. And they've managed to utilize 95% of their allotted doses right away. And so, you know, this is what I think the problem with medicine in general that I've seen since 2010 when Obamacare hit is that they're focusing now on the major institutions. And, I mean, I'm the only private practice cardiologist left uh, in, you know, this North Carolina area, the Triangle area. Everybody else bailed out and joined an organization. Now, well, they bailed I, out. They they're still doing cardiology. They just work for somebody, right? And so, what happens then? Okay, is that there's a bureaucracy above you, right? So you, you can't make quick decisions. So, for example, if I believe that there is a better way to do something based on the reading that I've done and the communications that I've done, I can put that into practice immediately. Um, I think that in larger organizations, you have to make sure, because people are looking over your shoulder right. and reviewing all your cases. And if you go outside of the guidelines, I know that some of my former colleagues, former partners who now work for large organizations, they get pulled back, um, sort of like the dog that's running who's on a chain. Yeah. And he reaches his limits and he gets jerked back. And so I think the same thing goes with vaccination programs. Now, I'm not saying that they're not being done um, correctly. I think that everyone would agree that we started off slowly in North Carolina, but now we've caught up. We were, what, 43 two weeks ago, and last week we are number six in the country? Sure. So, but I'm just amazed. That, that West Virginia came out on top. And, and I think it is primarily because they have individuals making decisions and not necessarily large committees. So I'm excited. All right. The, I, I think we're going to continue to see cases drop. I mean, I really right. think so. North Carolina now has 2,400 people currently hospitalized with COVID, which is down That's significantly, right. yeah. um, but it's n- nowhere near where anybody wants it to be. The effort now, the effort now is to reopen schools, and and we finally got the endorsement from the governor and uh, Secretary Cohen uh, in North Carolina. Governor Northam in Virginia said the same thing, which is they said you got to open as quickly as possible. They're looking at like March to reopen. Um, so th- that effort's moving in that direction. You've said open schools for a while, haven't you? Pardon? You've you've been in favor of opening schools for From a while. From the beginning. From the beginning. Yeah. And, and because there really hasn't, hasn't been demonstrated, even in the public schools that had uh, openings until they didn't have openings, until the teachers unions really you know, paid a big hit. But... Um, there really haven't been teachers or, uh, um, you know, personnel within the school systems getting COVID at a high degree. Right. Now, if you look at Catholic school systems, they've done it right. Uh, here, in, here in Raleigh, uh, my daughter goes to Cardinal Gibbons, and 
the first time um, they had to close for two weeks. And the reason is they did have some support personnel and some teachers who developed uh, cases of COVID. Nobody was really sick. Um, The Catholic schools had stayed open. They had partial uh, in-person classes three days a week, home classes two days a week. It worked. Uh, My daughter has gotten a a good education, not as good as I think she had prior to the COVID era, but they never shut down. They never went to 100% um, out of uh, school learning until uh, these last two weeks. And I think that if you look at Catholic schools across the country, they've shown the way to do it, which is frequent testing, Uh uh, monitoring, um, and the feedback. I would get emails every day about the number of students who had tested positive, what classes they were in, um, where to go. And now, after the spring break in the middle of February, my daughter's going to have to present a negative test within 72 hours to be let back into school. So this blanket closing, I don't think, has shown to be any uh, safer than what Catholic schools across the country have done. And the interesting thing is that when COVID hit, there were a number of Catholic schools that just failed because so many students stayed home and so right. they went out of business. Well, now wow. there are more people enrolling in Catholic schools than in any other time in the country by percentages. And the Catholic schools now are doing extremely well because most of them have filled their, their, class, their class limits because so many kids have noticed, uh, or so many parents have noticed, their kids weren't getting a good education. Yeah. They've taken them out of the public schools. All right. Now, we're not in Chicago yet. This show is not heard in Chicago yet. but I hope it will. You, one day, and, and the Chicago Teachers Union um, and the district and the city are in a big conflict. And you know what they're threatening to do? They're threatening no. to lock out the teachers who don't show up. Yeah. Which, well, if you... And I find it's- Fascinating, because the mayor of Chicago, and forgive me, I don't remember her name right now. Lightfoot. Very much, yeah, a very much a left-winger. I mean, she was definitely in support of the rioters right. in the beginning of the summer and all this stuff. And now she's standing up to the teachers' unions. Now, here's the problem. Yeah. Is that one of the biggest supporters of the left-wing Democratic uh, Party are the teachers' unions. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why the schools have been so stuck in mediocrity is because the teachers unions want everything to be on seniority and they don't want any merit-based payments or merit-based promotions. Yeah. And and so that's been the sticking point. And now I find it fascinating that the mayor is standing up to the teachers. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a breath of fresh air in the Windy City. We're going to talk about a lot of things on the show today, including some uh, people in the shame segment, uh, entire hospital systems in the shame segment. Um, We're also, I want to open this up to something you just found out about. A former colleague of yours who you went to school with at Johns Hopkins. Yes. And he has undergone a heart and kidney transplant. Simultaneous. Well, I wouldn't want to go in twice. 
Yeah. This sounds like a it sounds like a big deal. This is Dr. Matt Wolf. I don't, do you remember Dr. Oh, Wolf? Absolutely. So Matt was uh, one year behind me in residency. So we did three years of internal medicine residency, and then he decided, just like me, and I cast a class in, in at Johns Hopkins when into cardiology. That was back in the day. It was a really big thing to do cardiology. Yeah. And Matt was genius. And the other thing about that, he was so much fun to be with. He had a positive attitude. He had a great sense of humor. And so he went off and did cardiology. I went off and did something else. But I'm looking through um, my news feeds on my phone, and there's Matt. And I recognize him immediately. It's really funny. He still has the same facial features. He's got a beard now. But about in turn 30, he went into AFib like I did. So he was swimming in the Chesapeake, and he felt his heart fluttering. Well, that was the beginning of a long, unending story of his heart weakening. And he not only had atrial fibrillation, he developed ventricular tachycardia, which is far more dangerous. It's when the lower chamber goes into an electrical disturbance, and then your lower chamber can't beat efficiently, and that's bad. You can pass out. Uh, you can even have sudden death, and that's one of the major then his heart started to weaken, and the function of his muscle started to go down. And you know what he did? He figured it all out himself. He figured that there had to be a familial or a genetic component to what he had. And so this is before 23andMe, where you could do your DNA analysis. And he went back, and there was an ancestor who had died at age 30 suddenly. And then he found cousins and second cousins who developed heart failure and died young. Well, then he was able to get some of the DNA, and he actually found out the genetic problem that he carried as a a familial component. And unfortunately, couldn't be reversed. And so he had to go part-time. He wound up in the hospital, deathly ill, uh, heart not functioning. And his kidneys went out, too. And they could not be salvaged because his heart wasn't pumping enough blood to the kidney. Well, a donor came. And for transplants, it's very fascinating. You only need to have the same blood type. Did you know that? I did not know that. I thought yeah. it was more complex. It, well, I thought so, too, until you know I learned about transplants 30 years ago. But it's the blood type. And okay. so they found a donor with his exact blood type. It's called the ABO blood type. So you're type A positive, type B negative. You have to have that exact. And so he got the heart and a kidney from a donor, and he's back at work, and he's good as new. And I think, you know, he sort of discovered all this about his family and their genetic heart condition. He did all the work. Right. And and wound up um, not being able to find a cure, a genetic thing that he could reverse. But he wound up benefiting from 30 years of research that uh, our colleagues have done. I mean, transplants back in the 80s happened, but the biggest advance was preventing the rejection. Right. And that got to be so good with the development of immunology. Okay. And Matt has a great chance. His five-year survival is 80%. So well, that's good. I think he's going to do very well. Excellent. We've got the shame segment coming up in just a little bit. If your job description 
includes the word instructor, but you're not a teacher, maybe you shouldn't get boosted to the front of the line for a COVID vaccine. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have instructor in their name, in the the title. They're not really public school teachers. Um, We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Also, your phone calls, 919-860-9783 on the Heart Health Radio Network. Heart Health Radio with Dr. Franklin Weefald on the Heart Health Radio Network. Our number, 919-860-9783. All right, Dr. Weefald, we start with somebody who's a, she calls herself an educator. She's a soul cycle educator. Do you know what that is? Yeah, um, it's this, they used to call it spinning. You know what that is? They would sit on these artificial lights. Right. And pump you know, and spin those wheels. And it, my daughters do it. Uh, right. And they love it. In fact, you can buy your own uh, spinner. It's called a Peloton. And you sit it up there. Yeah. And they, they've got one on the third floor. And it's got a TV screen. Yeah. And, those, and so this instructor is on the TV screen with 10,000 other people okay. out the country. So this instructor is not in the room with the people that they're going to be instructing. There are about 20 people in the room <laughs> okay. to make it look like she's teaching a class. Now, okay. They're greater than six feet apart. Um, they're, and they are huffing and puffing. Yes, There's yes, probably yes. aerosol spreading through. But, but she it, jumped in line, didn't she? Yeah. And, and that, and that made, really made me upset because... You know, the school teachers hopefully can get the vaccine like you did and get us back into school. Right. Soul cycle is important because people's physical, you know, fitness is important. But on a scale of one to 10, in terms of the priorities of who needs to get it, I mean, it's a 0.5. Right, right, right. Way below my patients who are not 65, who have obesity and diabetes. And, and high blood pressure and coronary artery disease, they need to have gotten it already. Right. And so these hipsters, and that's what I call them, these hipsters, are pushing their way to the front of the line. And I just find that morally repugnant, to tell you the truth. Very because, good. you know, they don't need it. They're not going to definitively harm society by not getting it, like teachers. And they're not going to prevent themselves from necessarily getting a severe case of it because their fit is all get out. They're not obese. They're not diabetic. That's right. And so their risks of dying are less than 0.1%. Her name name is Stacy Griffith. Yeah. And she's She's in New York City. The spiky white hair and she's got the tattoos and she's (laughs) all, all in. As my kids would say, uh-huh. she's all in, and she she should have been all out as far as the vaccine is concerned. There is a story with the headline: "Injured in a crash, some hospitals will skip the insurance and go right to seizing wages and home." I think it's just terrible. So I've never encountered this. Um, I have had plenty of patients who were injured, had severe injuries, including what we call a cardiac contusion which is basically a bruise of the heart. Right. And the key thing for you to be aware of, and God forbid you're in a major car wreck, 
But if you have good insurance, like Blue Cross and Blue Shield, don't let the hospital go after you. It is perfect. And most states have the law that you can bill or have your insurance pay for all of your care. Right. And then it will be the insurance company's um, job to obtain reimbursement from either your insurance if you were at fault or the other person's insurance if they were at fault. Right. And that can stretch out for years, but that's okay because the insurance companies are incredibly wealthy. Um, what happens now in some of these hospitals and some of these states where it's legal, they won't even bill the insurance company. They will, as, even sometimes before you get out of the hospital, yeah. they will put a lead on your house so that you can't sell it. And if you do sell it, it's, the money goes straight to the hospital. Right. And then you are left with struggling to get the money from these insurance companies. And I, I can't understand why the people in these hospitals are so cruel <laughs> and downright mean right. to put these patients who've been sick as all get out. You know, just I've had so many patients in car wrecks. Um, I have three or four right now who are severely debilitated and struggling. And everything went fine. The insurance, uh, their health insurance paid. Right. And some of them now, six years out, are finally settling the uh, the lawsuits around these accidents. Right. But they never suffered financially uh, by having the hospitals go after them right. for the money. Right. So I think that's terrible. It's a, there's a group, in, it's Parkview Hospital System in Fort Wayne, Indiana, but I'm sure there are some local, you know, some closer to where we are right now that would do that well, sort I, of thing. We just don't know about them. Hey, listen, I doctor, I, I, I want to tell you about uh, you know, coming up on the second half of the show, we should have in, apparently invested in AstraZeneca. Yeah. Because all the the news about the vaccine with AstraZeneca has been incredibly positive. And, and I think the reason why is the ease of use of the vaccine that they have. And it's much more easy to use. All right. Well, we'll, and we're going to talk about that. We're also going to link cancer and diabetes coming up on Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefald. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. And on the show right now, we've got Rose Hoban from North Carolina Health News. Hello, Rose. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How afternoon. Are you? And Dr. Weefald is with us also. He is on phone today, so it may be a little difficult for both of you to hear each other Perfectly, actually, and every I can moment, hear really well. You I can, can really okay, well. good. Oh, and I can hear him. Excellent. All right, Rose. I will tell everybody else now what's on North Carolina Health News dot org right now. Two, we, uh, two, and maybe three excellent stories about the collateral damage of the coronavirus, um, including drug overdoses and domestic violence. Yeah. Uh, they are they are the sad result of oh um, when it comes to domestic violence it's you know folks kind of maybe cooped up at home with someone um, with whom their relationship has perhaps 
not been great before, and but this has exacerbated the tension in those families. Um, there's uh, which, and we saw that it dramatically increased over the past year. So incidents of domestic violence um, really ticked up. The other story we've got is an across the state look at what's happened with opioid overdoses. Um, we've got uh, from different parts of the state um, people who work in the uh, uh, drug treatment community talking about how some people who use opioids, their lives are even more chaotic because perhaps they lost a job and uh, they were suffering from a mental health issue, depression, et cetera, homelessness. Um, so this has contributed to an increase in drug overdoses, a 23% uh, increase year over year. And then finally, we've got a story about... Um, uh, I think you're talking about what's happening between teachers and students and the, the current debate over going back to school fully, um, whether some school districts will, uh, there are some school districts like Wake County, which have largely remote, um, but they are going to go back to a hybrid. So there's just, obviously, coronavirus has been an infectious disease that's affected a lot of people, but then there's all of these, as you as you say, side effects from the pandemic. Rose, how how are suicides in North Carolina and across the country? Uh, you know, that is one that is a little slower to come in, so we have not looked at it yet. Um, the preliminary data shows that there's not a significant uptick. Um, yeah, that's what I heard. So, yeah, that we all thought it was going to be bad, and there were some areas where, for a period of time, there were suicides were higher than COVID death rates. But as I understand it, we have been fairly lucky, and I, I'm going to use that word lucky because there's so much despair that we haven't seen a really big uptick, have we? I, I'm I'm wondering. I mean, I hear you know I hear stories about there was a piece in uh, I think it's the New York Times um, opened a phone line for parents to just call and and grouse and maybe scream or cry uh, so that they could get some input from them. But, you know, I, I, I kind of, I want to sort of maybe, maybe it's a little Pollyanna-ish, but maybe take a, a positive look in the sense that people are incredibly resourceful and resilient. And perhaps that's why, and that there have been so many new resources from, for them in the form of, you know, uh, online therapy so you can actually call and have a therapy appointment if you if you want to talk to somebody and you're feeling depressed and you think you might want to hurt yourself. Um, the state has a growing two one one system, so it's a little oh, bit easier for folks to get connected. Excuse me. It's two one one. Two one one is an information system that people can call. To get uh, to get information about uh, services that they might be eligible to, and I know that they can um, connect people to perhaps like a suicide helpline if people are feeling like they might want to hurt themselves. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of resources that I think people have stood up quickly. I know churches have created ways of uh, uh, meeting with fellow people in 
their congregations so that folks can have a, a friendly ear to talk to and maybe just kind of, un, you know, get, get something off their chest. So there's been a lot of, um, you know, this has not been easy. I don't want to minimize what the pandemic has done at all. Oh, yeah. But I will say, I think people's resourcefulness and people's uh, flexibility, I think there's been some really fantastic uh, things on display. Um, I, I recently got uh, an email from someone whose eight-year-old daughter and her friend sold dog biscuits, made dog biscuits and sold them in front of their house and donated $80 to um, animal shelters. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, so I think people have really tried to respond as best they can to the situation. Well, Rose, thank you. I want everybody to go to NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. Also, another interesting article about teachers going back or not going back, depending on your attitude about it. Uh, you know, and there will be a, a significant debate over the next couple of weeks. And I know oh, it's going to be on your website. That. Yeah. Thank you, Rose. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, fellas. Have a great week. All right. Take care. We're going to welcome David from Garner to the program. David, how are you? Hey, uh, how you doing, Dave? Good. What's up? Yeah, I just wanted to give some comments about the Moderna uh, vaccine and the experience experience I had first. I want to give a – they've really got it together down there at the Harney County Health Department. Uh, I had a shot there about 11 days ago. Yes. Everything went really smooth, smooth, and I'm lined up to go back in a little over two weeks to get the uh, second shot. Very good. Uh, and experience I had about four, I've had a lot of shots in my life, but about four hours after receiving that shot, my arm started hurting, mm. and it hurt for two and a half days. And I understand that a, a, a vast majority of patients that got the Moderna, that they had similar uh, effects, and I'm just just wondering what Dr. Weefall's thought is of of what what's in the Moderna shot, or what why is it, why would would cause a shot to uh, to uh, linger that long and really really be sore? Well, it's interesting. I got the Moderna about two weeks ago, and interesting for me, I didn't feel a thing for two days. Um, I could maybe have a sensation that I'd gotten a shot. And then two days later, on a scale of 1 to 10, maybe a 2 soreness, no no redness. Now, let me tell you what the soreness and redness probably mean is that you had a really good immune response to the vaccine. So when they give you the Moderna, it comes out of the 90 degree, minus 90 degrees. They saw it. What it is is some fat globules with a chemical inside, and that chemical creates through your own genetic machinery the spike protein. And then the spike protein, which is the outer covering or the outer um, literally spike sticking out of the, the virus, your body recognizes that as a foreign invader. Now, the good thing is it recognizes the spike by itself, there is no other part of the virus there, but you're still going to amount, going to mount an immune response that is quite vigorous. So there's something called inflammation associated with an immune response. 
So just think of it that you've had a cut, okay? So you've had a cut, and what happens is that it turns red around the cut, gets sore, and unfortunately, if the if your immune system can't fight off the bacteria that get in there, it can get a lot worse. The nice thing about the Moderna is that you're going to mount immune response. You're going to have inflammation. Everybody's reaction is going to be different. So the Moderna does create a, an immense immune response. Well, Dr. But I'm on. Yeah, can you I hear me? Two more questions or comments yeah. real quick, and I'll let other people get online. Sure, uh, go don't ahead. Don't you think that, that even after people get the second shot, that Moderna, that there'll be a booster shot and people will be going back yet again to get a booster with the Moderna? And also on this Johnson & Johnson, whether it's one shot or not, why would anybody want to take something that's only 66% effective? Well, let me, let me tell you why. Um, when it says 66% effective, it means that it's going to be 66% in preventing any infection whatsoever. Now, the reason why Johnson & Johnson had a lower number is, number one, they're a single shot. So Moderna, with a single shot, was about 70%. And then with the booster shot, it boosted it up to 95%. But the Moderna went through its clinical trial before the UK variant, the mutant, came out and before the South African variant came out. So with those two still being in the time frame for the J.N. Johnson & Johnson vaccine, it brought down their total effectiveness. Now, the interesting thing is that they're now studying a booster with the Johnson & Johnson. And I think that's going to bring it up a little bit more. But you know what I think that is coming, and, and that's going to be getting maybe one or two vaccines from different manufacturers and boosting it up to 99.9%. And we're going to talk about, yeah, we're going to talk about AstraZeneca in a little bit. That's another one coming out. And interesting thing about AstraZeneca is it was 100% effective against really serious complications. So nobody who got AstraZeneca wound up on a ventilator. And interestingly, nobody who got AstraZeneca died. So you talk now about it was 66% effective at preventing infection, but just like the flu vaccine, if you got it, didn't get a very serious infection, and it was less severe. And interestingly, with AstraZeneca, nobody died, and nobody went on a ventilator. So I think every vaccine's a little different, but if I only had the choice to get J&J, I would still get J&J, even though it has a quote-unquote lower uh, uh, efficacy. It's still pretty darn good. David, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Dave. All right, I appreciate it. Telephone number here, uh, always call between noon and 2 on a, a Saturday, 919-860-9783. By the way, on today's program, we're just going to be one uh, one hour with the doctor on the phone, and then, then we'll have a best of coming up. Um, AstraZeneca's vaccine is poised to become the leader in the world. They are going to, in the first half of this year, pass out about 340 
doses. And that's compared to like a million. 340 million doses of the AstraZeneca worldwide compared to 1.2 on the Pfizer. So and it'll be it'll be a billion quickly. And so and and by the way the other news was that the AstraZeneca is effective against the UK version of the the, the disease. Right. So and it has pretty good efficacy against I think which is the probably the worst which is the South Africa one. And again Nobody died. Nobody went on a ventilator. Right. Nobody you, got serious illness with it. You were, I, I think, making the point with David that, you know, they say the efficacy or the, you know, 60-some-odd percent. Right. Even if you got the disease, did you get as sick as you would have? Right. It turned it into, instead of a potentially deadly illness, it yes. turned it into an illness that you could get through. And I think... Even if that's all we had, it's right. going to save the country. Because right now, what's everybody afraid of? Everybody's afraid of getting it and dying instead of you know getting it and being sick and out of work for two weeks. And right. you know, the vast majority of people who get COVID don't get a very serious illness. But the problem is you can't predict who is going to get a serious illness. Right. Most of the time, it's elderly most of the time, it's obese people. Most of the time, it's those who have a combination of obesity and hypertension uh, and diabetes. But I'm telling you, I have had so many patients where they get, the family gets it, and the man or the woman who has diabetes, obesity, heart disease has minimal symptoms. And the spouse or the, the cousin who has no pre-existing condition Right. Died. And I had something wow. just like that. The woman died in three days, and the man had no symptoms, even though the man had the risk factors. All right. I want to switch gears in the next segment. We've, we've got a shout-out coming up also. A story out of London that cancer is being connected now with diabetes in a way that it wasn't before. Used to be, you know, if you had diabetes, you really had to worry about heart disease and stroke. And now, apparently, cancer is the uh, third thing that you now need to worry about. Like, I need one more thing to worry about. I'm going to test my blood sugar during the commercial break, and we will talk with Dr. Weefald in just a moment on the Heart Health Radio Network. Well, you know you make me want to this is Heart Health Radio with Dr. Franklin Weefald. Dr. Weefald, who is Richard Kimlin? Richard Kimlin is one of my favorite people because he represents what we can do to save lives yeah. in cardiology when people approach with the knowledge of the latest technologies to save hearts. So Richard had a massive heart attack out of the blue. Yes. was completely asymptomatic. He was relatively young, um, not yet in that age group, late 50s, 60s, that puts you at risk. And his was so severe and so sudden that he wound up on a ventilator, unable to breathe. The heart wasn't pumping strong enough. He wound up getting surgery, but he had a prolonged period where he had to have 
assisting devices, so a balloon pump that goes in your leg and up to the heart and inflates in your aorta when your heart is relaxed and then collapses, the balloon does, to allow the blood to sort of be sucked down into the aorta to get the heart pumping stronger. Right. And eventually, you know, he got out of the hospital, he came to see me, and he was still very debilitated, not able to function the way he wanted to function. And so what did we do? We applied the best knowledge of the medicines to take, how much of a uh, one pill versus how much of the other. We had to also deal with his blood pressure being low. And the reason why I'm shouting about is that guy, and Richard, never, never got down, never lost hope. Right. Always had faith in the system. And he's doing great. I mean, he may not be 100% of what he was before his, his um, heart condition developed, right. but he's probably 95%. And I just, he's just a prime example of the toughness uh, associated with an individual initiative along with the beauty of what we've developed. I mean, over the last 30 years, I'm going to tell you right now, and I've told Richard this, when I yeah. first started in the 80s, there's no way Richard would have survived even the first event. Right. And it's just wonderful. All right. So there is something out of Imperial College in London, a study. They followed a bunch of people with diabetes, and apparently, yes, heart disease and stroke are leading causes of death among these folks, but cancer has moved to number one. Why could that be? You know, it's interesting because, you know, we talked before about now cancer being associated with diabetics. It's right. not because they're getting more cancer. It's because we've really been effective at reducing the uh, incidence of heart disease among diabetics. And so what's happened is that since they're not dying uh, so frequently anymore of heart attacks and heart failure, right. they're the incidence of cancer has now become more common. So if you're going to get a, a disease that takes you out of the prime of your life, it's more likely to be cancer. Now, why is that? Because the vast majority of people with diabetics are so-called type 2. What does that mean? It means you have insulin. It just doesn't work. And the reason why people developed it is because the insulin resistance, that is what we call, um, was a a beneficial factor in the age of when there wasn't enough food. And when you have insulin resistance, you don't burn your sugar as energy as much as you store it. Right. And that's why obesity is a big problem because obese people are essentially pre-diabetic. Their insulin doesn't work as well. You store more sugar. And then as that happens, and you don't utilize sugar and you keep eating white flour and eating sugar, which didn't exist a thousand years ago or 2,000 years ago, um, you would get big diabetes. And so we now have these medicines that don't just plow more insulin into your body. I mean, it's like if you're starving, hitting you with a fire hose to drink. Right. You don't need more insulin. What you need is better insulin. So now we have medicines. Uh, the GLT inhibitors, I mean, agonists, which the, the brand names are Trulicity and Bidurion, they basically are miracle medicines because so many of the diabetic treatments we had before actually increased your risk for heart disease, such as the early 
sulfonylureas, which were the type of medicines like glitazide, uh, that did lower sugar, but raise your risk of heart attack. Well, I can now, tell you, doctor, I can tell you, yeah. doctor, that, uh, you know, I take insulin. When I'm in a period of time where I find myself taking uh, more insulin, I'm gaining weight. Yeah, and insulin makes you gain weight. And the nice thing is about drugs like Truicity is that we're now using them in non-diabetics for weight loss. And right. The brand name Sixenda is basically Victoza in just very high doses. So Victoza is a big drug for diabetics now. Now, I don't know if, you, are you, if you're familiar with Novo Nordisk, which is a huge manufacturer of insulin in Clayton, North Carolina. Right. And it's probably one of the biggest manufacturers now. They are developing, and they've already marketed, an oral form of the injectable Trulicity, or one of the, you know, the medicines I'm talking about that's so great. Right. And I was a little skeptical because I didn't know how that injectable medicine could then be taken as a pill. They've done it. And now they're building a $10 billion facility in quite in our own little triangular triangle right. uh, uh, area that's going to be, I think, a rocket ship drug that's going to really help people um, control their diabetes. The other class of medicines that have really reduced the risk of a diabetic from dying um, are Jardiance and Forsegia. Um, they are medicines that make you urinate extra sugar out mm-hmm. of your body. And that's another medicine that reduces the risk of you dying or having a heart attack if you're a type 2 diabetic. Here's the problem with these medicines. And what do you think the biggest problem is? I don't know. People can't, people can't afford them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, and they come, you know, the drug reps are great. They come to my office and they say, oh, yeah, here's a coupon. They can get it for $10 copay. That only applies to people with commercial insurance. Right. And so Blue Cross Blue Shield. Medicare has a law that, or the United States government has a law that you can't give discounts on medication. So, for example, I've got patients who have done well when I give them samples of Trulicity, for example. They yeah. get it, you know, four weeks for free. Their sugars are under control. It's fantastic. Then they go to the drugstore. And they almost have a coronary because the, the drug company wants $500 a month in COVID. Yes, they do. So Listen, we've got, we, we've got to run it. Believe it or not, we've done it again. No way. We spent an entire hour, and it felt like 15 minutes. Well, I tell you, Atlanta's great, but I can't wait to get back home again to Raleigh. All right. We'll hear you next week on Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor.